This episode was originally recorded on July 20th, 2019. On the internet, there is a dilapidated old house on top of a spooky hill. Are you brave enough to enter? The Schlockville Horror Podcast, starring the world-famous Schlock Brothers. Where no one can hear you scream. <laughs> well, welcome people to the Schlockville Horror Podcast. Uh, we Today we are going to be doing a little bit of a... Hold on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had to open my green drop drink. Oh, I... Yeah. I apologize. It's not time to start until that happens. <laughs> um, so welcome to the Schlockville Horror Podcast. Uh, today, I am your host, Chris Schlock, and I'm here with... Kevin Schlock. And uh, before we go any further, I have to say this. Uh, Lee Schlock couldn't be here today. Um, one of his llamas is llamas perfectly... F- or alpacas? Llamas. He's yeah. a llama farmer. Dang it, because I was going to say he had an alpaca catastrophe. Oh! Well, yes, he. He had a llama apocalypse. A llama issues. Llama apocalypse. Llama apocalypse. No, he he uh, he's just uh, has to take care of his llamas today. It's llama day. It's National Llama Day. In case you didn't know. Um, so two brothers. Yeah, we're our third. Our third is is gone, but we do have a replacement uh, temporarily for this podcast for him and a family member. Oh yes, mm-hmm. it's the our sh- schlock niece. <laughs> the, the world famous Schlock niece. Hi everyone. <laughs> and your name? Uh, my name is Bridget Schlock. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a reason that you're here, and a reason behind our movie choice. Uh, Chris, what are we doing? We're doing a film from 1995 called Congo. Probably, this is this has got to be the newest movie we've done. Yes. Uh, yes. Nice. Or close to Close it. to the newest movie, at least. <laughs> Definitely the highest budget. $50 million budget. <laughs> biggest budget. Yeah, you're not going to find too many schlock films with a $50 million budget. Um, but the reason that we decided to do this is this was the first movie that I remember taking Bridget Schlock to in the movie theater. And how old were you? Apparently two and a half we figured out, so to be honest, I really don't remember it. <laughs> Not at all, because we were rewatching <laughs> it together, and it was like a brand new experience <laughs> for you. It's like watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. This movie actually was um, not your typical schlock movie. In fact, um, it, it, it's got a pretty large budget. It's got a pretty good cast of people of the time. We had Laura Linney, who played Dr. Karen Ross, Dylan Walsh who played Peter Elliott. Funny fact about that, Peter Elliott is the actual name of the man who acts in monkey suits and ape suits and does all those things, and he trains other people. Is he a real primatologist? Uh, he, when he, well, when he puts on his, his costume, he's a real ape at that point. Oh, gotcha. Um, but, <laughs> but Dr. Peter Elliott is played by Dylan Walsh. Ernie Hudson plays uh, Captain Monroe Kelly, and he has been quoted in an interview saying that this was one of his favorite Favorite uh, jobs, one of his favorite favorite acting games. His humor in this movie is like, when when it, this movie does try to be funny, he's one of the people that actually succeeds at it. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Then we have a very big name uh, to a lot of people, Tim Curry. Um, he played Herkimer Homokita. Homokia. Homoika. Thank you. The Romanian philanthropist. Herkimer. Herkimer Homoka, formerly of Romania. Who did not Free exist. now of the chains of Ceausescu, traveling the world <laughs> and doing good. Kevin always has every script. Before we do this, he script memorizes the entire script. Mm-hmm. I may have seen this movie a hundred times. Uh, <laughs> funny thing about the character of Herkimer, he's not in the novel. So if you're a, a fan of the novel, um, he's just an added bonus fun character that kind of adds to the dimension of the movie. Because I'm sure there's a lot of things that's in the movie that's obviously not going to be a, in the book. A lot of his like greedy traits came from like Karen Ross's character in the book, actually. And I did ask Uncle Kevin Schlock why they even created this character for the movie, and he said just because it's Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want Tim Curry in a movie of theirs? Um, well, and Joe Don Baker as well, too. Yes, just right. Completely hamming it. Uh, we, go ahead. The, uh, the, the pilot of the plane was Jimmy Buffett. Yes, we found that out, too. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was the plane that, like, took them from... San Francisco or wherever they were right. to the Congo. The actual, yeah, the pilot. Or yeah, to well, at the time it was Zaire. The, their first, tri- yeah, right, Zaire. We, we can get into that if anybody's. There's interested. a lot of the, if, the if, actual if, history. If geography is very important to you, you're gonna love this film. Uh, it's got a very good cast. cast, and 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 it's done. You know, took a while. It looks they did a, they did like a lot of set work. It looked so. Yeah, $50 million did, did go into this movie. This movie, obviously based on a Michael Crichton novel. Yes. And Sorry. kind of the first thing that I wrote down when re-watching this was this movie so wants to be as huge as Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is just two years later. Um, it felt big at the beginning. It, it, felt, did, it, it felt big. It did. And you know what? This this movie blows its load on all these epic location shots in the first two minutes of it. Mm-hmm. And then for 90% of the rest of the movie just uses sound stages and sets. But everything that was like actually in Africa or I think they filmed some of it in like Venezuela. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks good. But then every time they're on a sound stage, it's like, uh Yep. Are they in moleholes? Moleholes. <laughs> unless you live in the city where we're recording this podcast, you have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it, but I, I, they did put a lot of money into the sets and the, the scene, setting the stage, mm-hmm. basically. What, what do you guys think of the, the, the music in this movie, this, this opening score? <laughs> Well, I said, knowing that I saw this movie for the first time when I was two and a half, that the opening totally reminds me of Lion King. Right. Yeah, kind of I agree. The sunrise and the vibe of the music. I I had the soundtrack, the score soundtrack for this on a CD. Of course. <laughs> for this movie. Yes. You still wow. listen to it before bed. I had all of my CDs <laughs> stolen when I was like 20 years old. So. Oh, that would have been crazy. I remember I that, right? Out of, out of Linkin Park concert. Out of your car? No, oh. but that it would have been before that. But uh, no, you're you're the only thing that got stolen out of my car at that concert was your brother's overnight bag. Oh, <laughs> so it was like a change of like twelve year olds' clothes is what this thief got away with. <laughs> Never mind. Maybe he, maybe he was a twelve year old boy. <laughs> it c- could have been <laughs> just needing some clothes. <laughs> so uh, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, Bruce Campbell. I totally. Did look that over. 
Bruce Campbell's in this. Just shortly, a few years after doing Army of Darkness, um, he's in this movie. He actually tried out for another part, but got the uh, Peter Elliott. Peter, Peter Elliott's yeah. part, and he got he got this uh, one, which um, I mean, he just worked as Bruce Campbell magic on this character. So he really did, and so. Uh, Bruce Campbell's character, he works for this company called Travicom, and he's the 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 owner's son as well, and he's leading this expedition into the the, the Virunga region of the the Congo, and they're looking for these diamonds to power these these futuristic satellites and lasers for this company. So he he links in like via satellite to let them know that uh, they found. Like diamond, diamond dust, like in the in the river or whatever, and I I love this cutaway shot that they go to like the satellite because that music that's playing during it is like the same music they use in any movie when you see a satellite <laughs> orbiting the Earth. <laughs> they got that from the satellite soundtrack two album, <laughs> and so he he links up with um, Karen Ross, uh, who's played by Laura Linney. Mm-hmm. Who I don't know what three three time Oscar nominee is right? Mm-hmm. She's also in the Nanny Diaries. <laughs> you could say she's slumming it a little bit for, for this role, but um, I love this. She's pretty fierce though. She is. <laughs> she could be a big Crichton fan too. She might, you know, doing it for the. And 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 I, and I, I love during their little Skype conversation that he like does like the diamond test in the later in the in the laser and he just sets the jungle on fire and then turns back around like look what I did and I'm like uh okay and now the Congo is burnt down <laughs> the Congo gets uh yeah he gets cut on fire all um, right we're not too far into this but I'm open my next one <laughs> oh, you're all good <laughs> um so this is this is what supposed to be the most advanced communication industry with this the satellite link up and stuff. But when Bruce Campbell like shuts down, like Laura Linney's like, "Give me your coordinates." I'm like, "Why wouldn't why wouldn't they have that? Do, do these people not know how their satellites work?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe they had a, didn't have a good understanding of that technology in 1995. It was well, really FaceTime. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were still trying to figure out the pod iPod and things like that at that point, weren't they? Um, and then what's what's um, what's Bruce Campbell's buddy's name? Oh, m- m- um, Richard? Is it Richard? No, 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 no. That's uh, no, that's that's that's, that's the that's uh, Peter Elliott's. Uh... So Bruce Campbell's character is Charlie, though Charles. It, it, Charles, yeah. Anyways, Bruce Campbell's buddy, like, comes back and they, they go, like, diving into this river because he's, like, found, like, the, you know, remnants of, like, ruins and stuff. Why is this river, like, puke yellow? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I've, I, of course, I've never been to, what was it? Zaire? Congo? Right. The, the, the country, is, yeah, the country is now the the Republic of the Congo, but mm-hmm. at that at that time, it was Zaire, mm-hmm. and the Congo just referred to the, the area region. region. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, maybe they have really yellow water because it was it was literally two years after this that 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 war finally ended, and Zaire no longer is a country. Well, then good for them for not naming it Zaire. Movie that would have been. <laughs> 
Well, it, it was funny too because we were watching it, and I th- I think it's when they first land there. There's like the little subtitle at the bottom of the screen, and it just says Central Africa, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like what. Way to be safe on that because they're like, we don't know what the fuck this place is going to be called by the time this comes out. <laughs> um, so, so his buddy like goes into the, the, the temple to, to retrieve his bag and Bruce Campbell's sitting on the, the steps eating his Hershey bag. Now, in the, in the book, these, these gray gorillas, they, they pick up stones and what they do is they smash people's heads in. And that's kind of how they mostly kill people on this. But the whole thing in the book is they, like, crush people's skulls so hard that their eyeballs pop out of their heads. Which I think that's what the opening was going for mm-hmm. here. Like, because the, the guy's eyeball hits the back of Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really look like it, like, launched out of somebody's skull. It looks like this gorilla's just hiding behind Bruce Campbell and wants to be a dick and, like, tossed an eyeball at him. <laughs> You know, it could be also, if you want to get really deep, uh, a foreshadowing of we're watching you. True. Huh? Maybe there's some art in this. Is there? You think? Maybe. Just well, the, little... the eyeball symbol certainly runs through. Well, yeah, there, there, is a, there is a continuity in that. Um, for sure. <laughs> That's what Amy was really drawing the whole movie. Right. It wasn't the the eye from that monument or whatever. It was the people's eyeballs that popped. Yeah, right. <laughs> she knew what was going on. And Amy, by the way, again, is is a gorilla that Dr. Peter Elliott has taken in and raised. This is uh, not a new concept. It's been started in the 40s and 50s. They've they're always been trying to domesticate and study chimpanzees and other like bonobos and stuff and you know, sociological experiment. So they, they uh, this was something that he was doing. And I, I think it was for his college, right? Or was it? In the organization or something, he was a, a, a basically a, a, a researcher at Berkeley. Actually, there was a little yeah. subtitle right. that Berkeley. popped up. That's they're like right. they're like Berkeley's still going to exist. Yeah, Berkeley. We we can identify that. One. Yeah. So they he's been he was raising Amy um, and teaching her sign language, which is typical. But to make it a, a Crichton book, uh, he's going to add a little technology of science into it. And they have these gloves, which now we know of. It's it's actually a thing now. We actually have them. You can put on and they'll interpret. Loosely sign language, real, real, a real uh, device. But then it was kind of a, hey, this would be a really sweet idea. And she wears this glove. She does her little sign language, and it comes out as a voice. It's interpreted. I'm going to bounce back real quick here to Bruce Campbell's death, though, because the way he turns around and we get that, you know, POV shot where he's screaming at the gorilla. Like, (laughs) at that moment, it's like, okay, well, this guy knows what type of movie he's in, and he's gonna sell it. It was, it was. Every, if you've seen Army of Darkness, if you've seen Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, it's the same classic Bruce Campbell turn and scream movie. Uh, yep. Um, and apparently, gorillas love Taco Bell. Yeah, as we see in Amy's, and they're trailer. the only ones. <laughs> believe it or not, that's true fact. Um, t- I, I was, I was telling you this. Um, earlier too, Bridget, um, the, the Taco Bell tie-in with this movie, they released like collector's watches. I remember this. I, I collected all of them and I really wish I would have dug them out and knew where they were. You really liked this movie. You had the watches and the soundtrack and the stuffed animal. (laughs) You, well, and the, the, the stuffed animal, we'll, we'll get into that, but there was action figures 
And you actually, I bought you the Amy one too, but you didn't, you didn't like that because you were two and a half. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted the stuffed animal. And yet Kevin does not own a single piece of Birdemic. I know. A Birdemic watch would just rock, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So does, does Amy, does she look real or not? What's, Mm. what's our, what's our verdict on that? Okay. So looking at it from a 1995 mind perspective, uh, the way that the, uh, because really only a few years earlier than this, CGI started developing. Um, in fact, uh, this is an actual fact from, from, from the people who did the movie was that they were originally going to use the same CGI company that did Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. But at that time, nobody was av- able to create CGI hair. Oh. That's the only reason they could get away with the with the dinosaurs is because they were scaled. Right. And so um, this would have been a really I, – I, if they were CGI from 1995, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I, looking at it from a 1995 perspective, I think they looked real. I think they looked real enough. They're just they're, – they're brown, if you which mentally, I don't get. If you mentally squint, they look real. <laughs> but 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 yeah, and that's another thing is I read somewhere and I'm trying to find it so I could quote or cite it actually. But somewhere they said that they were somebody had mentioned that they were using Asian gorillas um, in place of the African gorilla for this movie. But I again I can't find that factoid and cite the. Well, you know, if you're making a movie that takes place in Africa, you definitely want to research what right. Asian animals look like. Sure. You want to make sure that you're getting the right, right, right animal in the right biome. <laughs> so, so they're doing this um, presentation because Peter Elliott's trying to get like more research grants, mm-hmm. and I love that like sitting in the crowd is Stuart Pink and, and Mary Ellen Trainer, and they ha- have like one line apiece, and then they like never appear <laughs> in the rest of this movie, and it's like. Really, this is the type of movie to just, like, throw in these random cameos for jokes? <laughs> but, um, actually, another movie that we need to do on this podcast is Arachnophobia, mm-hmm. which I love Stuart Pankin, and he's the sheriff. Right. Um, that is a good one. That's on our list. And then this is this is also our, our introduction of Tim Curry, who's just a total boss. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his character was not in the book. Um I kind of half expected that he just came up on his own with this idea that he was probably going to be Romanian and wanted to do this accent. Yeah. Like he was just (laughs) sitting around one day and it's like, "Ah, I got this voice that I want to do. (laughs) Tim Curry is the master of what he was. He's been doing voiceover as long as he's been acting and he can do a lot of accents. And I, I like the fact that he was over the top a little bit. It was schlocky. It was schlocky. That this is where we come back. Where later we'll, we'll probably discuss and debate if, this topic. If, if those <laughs> elements weren't in this, the, if he wasn't there, yeah, 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 the, there there wouldn't be any schlock value to this. Right. Movie. He was he was a load of schlock, uh, which, which is good for us. Just by the way, in case you're just listening for the Although, first time. I just have to say, how did he end up at this lecture about? <laughs> about Amy he saw because he had that ring with the the eye on it and he eye or eyeball we don't know uh, yes (laughs) (laughs) um he had seen in like news articles or something that Amy was kept painting that golden eye got it and he knew that she was like originally like 
captured from, from, from that, that location yeah. Yeah, or that area. Yeah. Um, so Karen Ross and Travicom decide to... Well, so Amy's, like, having, like, serious, like, post-traumatic stress disorder throughout this, and she's having all these nightmares and stuff, and they decide that they're going to take her home back to the Congo. And... Um, because that's what you do with a primate that has been raised in human captivity its whole life. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> One of my peeves. <laughs> um, I didn't mean to move your train of thought. No, that's <laughs> my green piece came out of me. I'm sorry. But why Karen and Travacom go do the mission? Yeah, yeah they just over. they end up hijacking um, this expedition and... Um, you know, it, it, one of my first thoughts here when when uh, Peter and Karen first meet is Peter's explaining, well, the problem is Amy or whatever. And then she signs that she's like, ugly woman, very ugly woman. <laughs> and I'm like, well, Amy is not that smart of a gorilla if she thinks Laura Linney is an ugly woman. <laughs> and she's jealous. <laughs> but she's I, jealous. I thought that Peter Elliott told Amy to say that. About Karen. Well, that's even fucking worse. Um, Just on a side note, right before that happened, they go to the plane, right? Yes. The guy wants $56,000 No, that's my next note here. I go, does jet fuel really cost $56,000? If there's anybody out there who knows the price of jet fuel, um, would it cost $56,000? I don't believe so. I just don't think of that. 1995. I don't know. Yeah, true. I mean, it is 1995. I don't know what the situation was. It was probably high. One-way trip from... um, California to Zaire. Yeah, it's a, oh yeah, a one-way trip. It was what, fifty-six grand? Man, you better get peanuts on that flight. <laughs> they don't get peanuts, but they get they, Joe Pantoliano when right they get on. there. And and that's another nut martinis. you gotta love. <laughs> yep, oh yeah, the, the green drop drink. The green drop drink. Bring I totally just forgot my joke from the beginning yep. of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Have another green drop drink there. It's really don't PBR. Yes. With olives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we. She was so, but was she was so dignified when she drank that drink too, wasn't she? Didn't she look like like she was a, after throwing? She was in, not dignified. She drank it on one like chug. Yeah, well, on a drink. Didn't she burp too afterwards? <laughs> hey man, we got different. Yeah, different we have yeah, very different things. views of what dignified is, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Joey Pants, um, this Eddie Ventro character, and you know what? He needs to be in more of this movie. Mm -hmm. And this was like the first point which I realized that these secondary characters are actually more likable. (laughs) And Karen and Peter are kind of the most annoying and hateable characters in the movie. Peter is super unlikable. (laughs) Right? Throughout the whole thing. And I tried. I wanted to like him. I really did want to like him. Bruce Campbell should have played him. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, and then Ernie Hudson. Yeah, Ernie Hudson. Which, Captain Monroe Kelly. Yes. Um, is there some sort of hint of an accent? <laughs> A little bit. I, I just, it, it comes and goes, but I don't know what he's trying to do. I, I like to, I thought, I, my personal thought was he was trying to create a character but wasn't really committed all the way <laughs> Bridget, that's kind of what you were thinking too is he was just trying to sound more 
like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, that is what I said. But I think that also plays into just some of the like fetishization of black people in general that mm-hmm. this movie kind of veers towards. <laughs> a little bit. And also like you are in an African country that they, has they been were colonized like... by British people. So with you saying like, it is, a, is it a British accent? Like, right. I think that's fair. And it, 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 it was kind of exotifying it, wasn't it? It yeah. was like kind of creating this, they were trying to bring that back that old fat, like that old fashioned, like 30s and 40s, like mystique. Yep. Of yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. Like that, because because Crichton did write it in that aspect too, though. He really, I mean, it was like a, the, this, the, what the, the, the well, minds of Sol- the Solomon Oh, sure. I thought you were going to say this character in particular. Because no. I'm like, no, that's not right because no. this character was white in the book. Right. No, but I mean like the, the, the feeling of the whole story overarching should have that whole, you know, black continent, that, that, that yeah. dark Africa. mystique. Yeah. The whole old-fashioned, you know, mentality. Gotcha. Um, Which does leak through the whole thing a little bit. So, sorry. Well, they, well, and that's just it. Is the, <laughs> the first, what, two-thirds of this movie spends so much time kind of diving into these weird side plots right. that, that the movie's not really about. And mm-hmm. it's not until, like, the last, like, 15 minutes that we actually get, you know, monster gorillas. No, but... and it's like they they try to, like, veer into this social political commentary of a serious thing that was going on in that area, but mm-hmm. never actually do anything about it. Well, right. yeah, they spend the yeah. whole middle half of this movie in that because they, they land in Zaire, and the first thing they're just talking about is, you know, the political uprising yeah, that's well, going on. the bombing of the president's car right, right when they land. Because the, the whole—what triggered all of this was, like, the Rwanda genocide, and mm-hmm. at, at this time— that was still part of Zaire. And then there was a lot of uprisings happening in a lot of those locations. Right. And so it's just like, what is all of this doing in my schlocky gorilla movie? I think they wanted to create some sort of tension. Mm-hmm. But I think it fell short a little bit. A lot. I mean, I've, it, mm-hmm. I think it was also social. I think there was a lot of social commentary in that. But I think the social commentary outweighed the tension that was supposed to be building in that drama. Personally. Mm-hmm. That's just my... Because they end up getting detained mm-hmm. by the, the the military forces that were in control at this time, but and he just like whips out a gun, right? Like it, the, the car. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I felt, I felt it, was like, it was like a free for all. Yeah. I mean, I was I personally was like, what's going? What? I think How do the, you? I think the country was kind of a free for all at that point. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, so uh, Grant Grant Heslov, who plays Richard. Which, whenever I see him, I just think of True Lies and his character from that. But Great uh, movie. I, I love when they're being detained, and he's like, "This is pure Kafka," <laughs> and it's. I'm like, who in the world is going to get that reference? You know, those who have read Kafka. <laughs> then that's about it. <laughs> also, to go back when they land and there's the bombing, and they're they're like trying to get the army vehicle. Like all of the soldiers are wearing Ray-Ban sunglasses, <laughs> like very clear product placement, yeah, and it right. just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. this, uh, the product placement was pretty overt. In uh, some of those yes, things. and a sign of the times. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was the 90s. They had to make money on the movie. $50 million they had to raise. Um, and then we get another small side character that steals his moments on screen and is far underused in the movie, mm. which is uh, it's Captain... Something or other, but played by uh, Delroy Lindau. And he has some of the best dialogue because 
He's the one that uh, Monroe and Karen are trying to bribe to mm-hmm. cross the border. Mm-hmm. And uh, Herkimer Homolka is sitting there with them. And uh, he's like, have, have, some co- have some coffee and cake. <laughs> and then nobody touches it. Uh-huh. Except... He, and then well, no, first he goes, uh, he says, uh, have some coffee and cake. And nobody touches it. And then he goes, have some. And then <laughs> Herkimer Homolka mm-hmm. reaches for it. Uh, <laughs> and then the irony in that whole scenario, too, was when the when the conversation was over, he's like, don't eat my cake. S- stop eating, eating my sesame cake. <laughs> yep. And then he, was like, he spits it out. I can't do an impersonation of it. I'm just sounding no. like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You do. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... Yeah. Also, okay, this was a point I wrote this down when we were watching of like a place where there was some dialogue about the social political commentary. So the captain to them says the gorilla is going to be your key across the border because he says everyone in my country is afraid of being seen in an American movie being cruel to a gorilla. But that's just there's like a few subtle lines like that that are actually, I think, pretty powerful Mm -hmm. statements of them like trying to go into that space. But (laughs) I totally agree. I think it gets overshadowed. But then they actually are yeah, cruel to them the, at the end. A lot of the movie in general. <laughs> they, they don't. They don't know what they want this movie to be. Right. And it's like if they kind of, you just got to pick something. Yeah, and, and go I feel with like that. it'd just be better if they just embraced the schlock value of it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It almost sometimes it almost felt like, and th- and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is, sometimes it almost felt like it was written as the movie was being filmed in parts. Well, the, this scene in particular, I was like, is, right. is there any way this was scripted this way? Right. Or, or was it something added on? Like, this, right It totally minute? feels like improv, especially right. where, like, <laughs> he, throw, he throws all that cash in that bag and he's stapling it shut. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what, can, what is this behavior? And he's like, don't want nobody peeking. And I'm just like, there's no way it was written this way. <laughs> um, so... Oh, but- so who, after that scene, who was the director on this? It was directed by Frank Marshall. That's yes, right. Frank Kath- Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy's husband. Right. But after the scene in the hotel, then they get on that plane. The other plane. Mm-hmm. The other plane. Mm-hmm. The other plane. The like more military plane. Right, and then this no is... green drinks. The, green no, drop no, drink. no green drop drinks on this no. plane. Uh, just the banana with the dope inside. Yeah. Um, that was sad. Right? <laughs> I'm like, are they going to kill this thing? I was like, what are they doing? Don't do that to them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So they're, uh, they're trying to cross. Because they, 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 they crossed into Tanzania, and now they're taking another plane from Tanzania back to Zaire. Because that's where they need to go. To find the diamonds. Right. (laughs) This is where it gets kind of clustered because they've all got their own. It's kind of funny in a Hollywood sort of way, I guess. They've got they've all got their their own agendas. They've all Mm -hmm. got their own missions, per se. Maybe we should recap. And yeah, probably a very good idea. Um, So. So you've got the mission of Dr. Karen Ross. Right. Who's to recover Charles. Recover Charles, Charles. really. (laughs) Although Charles's dad, her boss, wants her to get the diamonds Mm -hmm. for the purpose of. Really, his next cash product. <laughs> Who represents? I think like kind of like a capitalistic sort of sure. thing. Well, yeah, he the the when and he colonial, sh- I would yeah, say exactly yeah. when, the he, when he shows up, he's money. he's riding in a golf cart and carrying a golf club around. <laughs> I would also say too, being that Dr. Ross is like the only prominent woman in this movie period, other than I guess Amy, Amy? the gorilla. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That That's it 
I mean, her character is a complete badass one. Like, she's a doctor. She's a scientist. She's a bigwig at this big company. She used to be in the CIA. She's really kind of leading their entire expedition, both financially and intellectually speaking. She's smarter However, and cooler than John Wick. And this just plays into women being everything in every movie, period, right? <laughs> she also is the only one that has this element of, like, love or there being like a meaning to the life of Charles, her fiance, which Uncle K pointed out was not even a component of the book at all. Right. So again, you see Hollywood depicting this woman who's characterized in the book as really, like you said, the villain, like kind of is that capitalist colonial figure whose prime mission is just to get the diamonds for the purpose of the laser. And, and, and this is 95. Yeah, but in the movie, which is probably, the, I feel like they really portray her mission as being in conflict with the Travacom guy mm-hmm. and that like she really wants to go because she wants to find Charles and it's bring. like which story do you really right. want to follow like yeah. which one is it that you want to believe is like the real and and like with with her she was very uh, a strong character mm-hmm. as far as so even in 1995 we were showing a little bit of progress Sure. I guess I'm just pointing out. It's, all, it's, it's, it's a little tongue in cheek, that, but, but it's then almost she a little. Was the only one, but other than again, Amy the Gorilla, moving that had like a like a love kind of theme. Yeah, it, it almost seemed like Amy Amy's Amy's feminism was a little stronger in some parts than um, Doctor or uh, 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 what's what's her name? Um, Dr. Ross. Doctor Ross. Doctor Ross. In in some parts. Well, and, those... and, and 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 just going back to the Her fact femininity. that she's. A, a stronger character too like the first thing that like uh peter elliott has to do is like shoot her down with like wh- what are you a doctor of like folk right. singing or something mm-hmm. like that. right and she's like uh no i'm way more badass and also you. like you need my fucking money you need my 56 right. grand right to get your jet fuel so you can actually accomplish your goals so anyway that's her mm-hmm. and her mission Dr. Elliot, his prime mission is to get Amy back, back to Africa, home. back because home. part of his kind of idea was, hey, maybe she'll teach them sign language. Isn't that kind of yeah, like how yeah. it was? And then maybe we can go back later and like just talk to all of the, and, all of the primates that yeah, are we'll, living around. We'll Dr. Doolittle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll Dr. Doolittle. And then you have Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After a diamond mine of incredible bounty. Yep. Who's just a treasure hunter. Yes. Right. And well, an add-on ad- 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 to the movie. Yeah, not a, not in the book. <laughs> um, so so they're on this second plane, not piloted by uh, Margaritaville. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. Margaritaville. <laughs> um, That's why they had the green drop drink. Mm-hmm. Yes, because he was on the plane. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, also, he's like very much dressed, like he's like prime for Key West. I thought. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so the, the the Zaire government's trying to shoot down this plane with a rocket launcher, and they got these heat-seeking missiles. And Karen kicks the door open, and she's got these flare guns. And once her, again, she's the first one to shoot. She's a badass in the movie. She <laughs> is, but I don't think this is how physics works. Uh, when when her and Ernie Hudson are shooting these flares out of right. the plane, now it, that that got, I wrote notes about that too because heat sinking missile type devices are rated for a particular temperature, and I don't think a flare gun reaches that point. But Hollywood wise, you know, brings that drama in. 
you know, that there's a lot of technical, there's a lot of technology in this movie that makes you go, what? You know, so, <laughs> hey, guess what, guys? We're going to have to take a break. A potty break. <laughs> so enjoy our sponsor, whatever that may be. Green drop drink. Green, Green drop, drop drink. This, this, this episode is brought to you by Green Drop Drink. Favorite of all uh, gorillas who can read sign language and... Amy wants Green Drop Drink. Tickle. Tickle me. Tickle me. me. Tickle Peter. Wait, that could mean something else. I get into the social political commentary. It's good. Yeah. You're contributing something different. Well, because I think a lot of schlock has messages. Sometimes it's made because it has just too much message. But but I think they do have messages. I just don't... Sometimes you just don't know what they are. And sometimes it's kind of like part of the fun is trying to pull out what is... Well, it would be interesting, too, to think about the, like, lead female characters in all of these movies mm-hmm. and see, like, are they like her where they're, like, everything in a character? Mm-hmm. Where you have... You literally mm-hmm. have Dr. Elliot, who his only job well, is caretaking for Amy. On that political note, though. He has nothing else interesting about him. Her character really did kind of have some of Tim Curry's character in it, right? So it was almost like they had to almost... Like Hollywood decided, hey, I'm going to take this particular character, this female character, and I'm going to actually pull parts of her personality or persona out and separate them into different characters because it was too much, maybe. She ends up kind of being the downfall of everything in the book because Mm -hmm. she rigs bombs all over to open up these mines, which which causes the volcano to erupt. In the book, yeah. Yeah. So she's she's kind of the... She's not necessarily the bad guy, is she? In the book, is she considered the bad guy? Well, you could say she's, like, the bad guy in the sense she represents, like, those capitalist, like, intentions. Because she's full... In the book, she's full on, like, supporting her company, right? She's part... Yes. Yeah. I mean, they are going after this other expedition, and I can't remember whether or not... I don't think, like, she was engaged or in a relationship with somebody on the previous trip, but no, she's like, well, I'm here to go after these diamonds, and I want to get these diamonds. (laughs) Because they're a girl's best friend. So, yeah, I get, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> laser is the next best thing in techno- technology right. and communication. <laughs> Satellite lasers are a girl's best friend. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it? Oh, no, when I was talking about, like, the physics of that, though, like, okay, so you're traveling at something that's going, I don't know, you just call it 200 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Now, you, like, throw something out. It's traveling at 200 miles an hour also until it meets a force greater than it, which would slow it down. What is the weight of a flare? I mean, you shoot a flare out while you're traveling 200 miles an hour. It's going 200 miles an hour for about a second. Right. And then the air touches it, and it's going back. Backwards. Right. It's exactly But outside of the physics, like, I just appreciate her badassness again <laughs> I think, and just being so accurate she yes. shot down all of them yes exactly and she was the only one in a, a plane of all men that was to say alright like let's do it let's handle this well, she, she was had, calm and collected right. and she had in control she was in control yep. the, the two uh, best people in this movie for lack of a better term are the the woman and a person of color yep <laughs> yeah and Three. an animal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But in general, it is kind of interesting to think about this movie being a pickup or like a just in the same genre of like a Jurassic Park or Indiana Mm -hmm. Jones kind of action movie 
where really if you're going to take one person out of this movie who's like the lead adventurer, it's Dr. Ross. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ross, and I would like to... Would... also like I'm trying to think like, why did I like this movie right. as a little girl? <laughs> and like, I think that's part of it potentially, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I wish they could have had a Herkimer knockoff. And you have like the gorilla, which again, you could, I mean, you could argue like, or you could critique the fact that Amy is, especially her voice is like this meek little girl voice. Um, but about how it really is just kind of fucked up about how Hollywood has to include like a romanticization of femininity mm-hmm. with someone's like with someone like Dr. Ross's character who in the book, like you said, is not really depicted like that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Hollywood feels the need to make that a part of her story right. and a part of her character. Which, like, in that case, I give props to the author of the book, who you wouldn't necessarily expect to be, like, depicting female characters in that way. But Mm -hmm. clearly it was a Hollywood decision, which seems on brand for them, especially at that time. Sure, absolutely. But (laughs) what would this movie be? Like, could this movie still tell the story it was telling without that? Sure. It right. would have been more schlocky. Right. Well, yeah, because the late 90s. It's like right. you have to have a romantic sort of – what other motivation would we have for a the woman to be out there? The other thing, too, is like I would say that that even little subplot about the romantic storyline between her and Charlie is like it totally falls short. Even when she finds his right. dead body, like it's like a two-second cameo right. of her and Dr. Elliot where she's like, yeah, he's really dead. And like that's it. <laughs> there's no tears. Right. There's no. There's nothing other than her getting the like laser gun out of their backpack. <laughs> <laughs> so our characters all decide that they need a parachute out of this this plane because the motors are going out. Mm-hmm. And um, Ernie Hudson is like parachuting with like a teddy bear from Costco. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I think. You know, it's like a. It does look like no, a like, six foot like, I was wondering, like, is Amy like strapped in, or is he just holding, oh, on, holding to on to her? her. And like, why aren't they falling faster? He just, seeing he that just, he has like an, a full grown adult gorilla he on just, his body. He Im- immediately jumps out of the plane and drops her, and is, oops, oops. <laughs> Peter's like, "Where's my gorilla? I, I, I dropped her." <laughs> Um, now the the whole parachuting scene cracked me up because I was like, half of these people you know have likely never used a parachute, right, especially Doctor Elliot. Like, yeah, he's just kind of depicted as like this, like academic who loves animals. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe and now a little you're, too much. Right now <laughs> you're in like much. a war zone and you're parachuting out of a plane being shot at. <laughs> well, they do Kahega, uh, who's like. Um, uh, Monroe's like right hand man and like buddy. Mm-hmm. He has to actually kick Tim Curry out of the plane. <laughs> it, I, I, I like that moment too because Tim Curry's like, push me, please. Harder, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they all land safely and they they begin their trek to. They all land safely. Yeah, Let's go back that's... to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jumping past that. And all within, what, like 100 yards of each other, too? Right. Even though they've been jumping out of this plane, like, spread out over the course of, like, 50 miles. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good. Um, but they begin their trek towards, is it Mount Mount Mukenko? It is mm-hmm. You're Mount right about Mukenko, that. Yeah. Which, which is strange that they made up a mountain name but uh 
they keep ref- referring to it as the Varunga region, which the word Varunga actually means volcano. Mm-hmm. There's an actual volcanic mountain range there. Why didn't they just use one of the regular mountain names? Maybe they were afraid they would change its name after the movie was. <laughs> after Zaire becomes a different country. They, they were, like, change. trying to be culturally sensitive, yeah. but, you know, I'm um, sure it really worked out for him throughout the whole movie. No. <laughs> um, so they set up. They set up their first night of base camp or whatever, and uh, they have like, their fancy little tents that, you know, just pop out. Along and with the uh, mini air conditioners yes. provided and, by Dr. Ross. Right, and she's like, we also have air conditioners. And <laughs> Ernie Hudson's like, air conditioners? And she's like, I suppose it is a bit much. And he goes, shit, I'll take one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's where that's where uh, Dr. Uh, um, Peter Elliott gets uh, a leech on his uh, his <laughs> downstairs parts. Right. And then well, he has to, like, burn it off, you know, like what you would do with, like, a tick, too, or whatever. But I love how he hands his, like, dick leech cigar back to Monroe. And Monroe's <laughs> just like, fuck this, and throws it into the fire. Yeah, that part's funny. <laughs> You like coffee. Do you occasionally take a nip of the old liquid courage? Try the Happy Hour Coffee Company. As a small batch coffee roaster, we have developed our own special alcohol aging process using spirits like whiskey, tequila, Jagermeister, and beyond. There is no alcohol left in the beans, but they are definitely haunted by the spirits, leaving a wonderful spooky flavor on your tongue. We know you'll love our blends. Try us now at happyhourcoffeecompany.com. Please give us a shot. Ta-ta for now. Is it? Oh, and this is where our, our, our tribe shows up, right? The ghost tribe of the region. Yep. According to the... Um, also, where they all wake up in the middle of the night to just the loud jungle sound. Oh, the the colobus monkeys. Yeah, the, the Monroe's the only one up and says it's monkey mating season. Yeah, I'm just like, did that really need to be in there? I don't know. <laughs> A little comedic. No, but since it was Ernie Hudson, I guess it, it was, was PG-13. Was might as well. Anything Ernie Hudson has to say. <laughs> he didn't say it was monkey fucking. <laughs> the full moon. Yeah, the full moon <laughs> brings it out of him. But yes, after that part, then um, we get to the um, the zoo tribe or the ghost tribe. Yep. And um, the, there's the line here, going back to some of the things that you were touching on, Bridget, where they ask who's in charge, mm-hmm. and Monroe's the one talking to him, and like, I, I don't. Do you remember specifically how like that? Dialogue experience. Yeah, well, they weren't talking in English, obviously, but right. he said he's in charge, which even just that question, knowing that usually white men were in charge, especially when white people were on this expedition with them. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in a lot of the reviews, I read that particular scene in conversation was something mm-hmm. referenced as one of those like only lines about social political commentary. Yeah. Um, but I would, again, I, I don't know, I'm talking about it now, even after having brought it up to you before. Also, Dr. Ross is very much in charge of that whole expedition. Even, like, when they come face-to-face with that other gorilla, like, Monroe, he backs off. Right. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Either way, that is one of that is one of the scenes that has been 
cited as, again, one of those only elements of social political commentary. Mm -hmm. But in general, the depiction of that whole ghost tribe feels pretty bad to me. I I don't know. (laughs) I I wrote down that this chant is kind of, like, creepy and cool, though. Yeah, it was creepy cool. Um, One of the things, too, is... um, it was Jerry Goldsmith that did the score to this movie. And he originally signed on when they were trying to uh, produce this movie much earlier. And then J- James Newton Howard was brought on, and he actually wrote this chant for this tribe, which, I don't know, here's something else. Make make of this what you will, but, you know, a white American man is writing a tribal chant for... For a made-up... Ghost tribe right. in the Congo. Um, ultimately, James Newton Howard didn't end up doing the score, but that still ended up in the movie before um, Jerry Goldsmith came back on for it. So, but I don't know. I still think it's a cool scene. I think they wanted to add some sort of level of like a mystical kind of feel to it. That particular moment, they wanted to. They wanted. I think they kind of wanted to show a culture, probably wholly misrepresented but but they wanted to give it that feeling of of um this weird like he's, he's dead and then they're like he's dead and then like a different level of dead there's different levels of dead right. which kind of implies that there's some sort of cultural belief system that's different and that they need to like kind of give them the heads up they go there and they're doing their little dance and they're 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 got him in a what like a well they're like outline. encircling him yeah, yeah. and um I think we're just supposed to take for granted that. I guess maybe we're just supposed to, supposed to be like part of the, the scene. I think I think that a lot of the language that they were using was Swahili. Um, right. I don't know how accurate it is because my I only know like seven words in Swahili, <laughs> but the jumbo comes up a lot, and that's that's hello. So, I do, I do think though this is like a very interesting, uh, like juxtaposition where you have this kind of like modern context of civil war with. <laughs> Again, like you're saying, this kind of romanticization of movies of the past that were romanticizing this like dark Africa right. notion. But I, I guess I, from just a cultural sensitivity perspective, I don't like those elements. And I wish that they honestly would have maybe gone more political in the modern context or, like I said, just gone full on. Uh, one way or the other. Just go one way or the Don't other. Don't try to Cause do both because like, it's going to mess both of them up. They were trying to do both, and then I'm just like, I, mm, I, this feels bad. Well, and there's that there's that line that Monroe has earlier that's just like kind of said in passing and then never referenced again because I, th- yeah. I think he's talking about Kaigani tribe, or right? If that name's right. Um, but he's like, oh, and the Kaigani are eating people, so he's just like referring mm-hmm. to this cannibal tribe. Right. And it's like, r- really? <laughs> no, and then you have obviously this hippo scene that's about to come up in terms of where we're at and talking about the movie, but just that idea that like Africa is a like a lost world where very wild are, still, like uncivilized. Yeah, right. They're trying to. I think it's like the civilization versus an uncivilized thought. Like people think that places are full of just uncivilized things, and I think that's kind of a pro- improper perspective but Crichton is also very well known at least in f- circles that I talk with people who are very big fans I, I, 13th Warrior for example he likes to fantasize cultures I've noticed like he, there's a truth to his culture but there's also a very lot of made up fantasy in it 
which this I'm sure like with the the tribes I don't know I I could I, I don't know I've not done the research but I could probably guarantee none of them or very few of them are actual real tribes um, and and their cultures are probably just completely fantasy and um, that does do a disservice to people um, when they're uh, especially if they're from there watching this movie right <laughs> but um, yeah with this one in particular I feel like I just want to do more research about one the accuracy of the current mm-hmm. context they're trying to depict and then two the accuracy of this like we said, more like lost world kind of version right. of Africa. Right. It's just, you know, that obviously, and I, I don't remember this part of the book or if it even existed in the book, but this just screams of white guy sitting down going, mm-hmm. I need to write about a tribe in Africa. Oh, voodoo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, but like aesthetic- Make up some words and chants and we're good. I guess like aesthetically- to your point about it being cool or something, like, I don't know. I, I think overall I lean on the side of it being pretty problematic, but the scene itself was pretty artistic compared to other scenes and this in the was, movie. this was Kevin, Brother Kevin Schlock's last episode of the Schlock <laughs> And the tribe has voted me off. No, I think, I think, I think that the, the whole movie is, if, if it was meant to be a social political statement, ended up falling into the sort of caricature um, mm-hmm. satire almost. For sure. Um, and, and, and I don't know if it's intentional, because uh, when you try to convert a book into a movie, and then you've got people who are probably not even in touch with how the book was, they're just, they're going to write, it's, it's almost like, the, it's, it's a different story. It literally is. It like looks like a different story. And I think that that's the, um, the juxtaposition is like, is it, you know, Guess if if you really want to try read the book and see how I guess the the maybe tribes we, work. Maybe we all read the book and then yeah, revisit. Yeah, because I haven't read this book. Episode. I've only read I've only read articles about the book and read interviews about the book. Um, uh, but I have read a lot of Michael Crichton books, and they're all they all have kind of a a similar. Uh, and the, and the, yeah, and the book was I mean written early eighties, if not mm-hmm. late seventies, even, but. Do you guys remember when this podcast used to be funny? <laughs> we used to make fun of stuff. <laughs> Shouldn't have invited me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I I like that we're like getting into all this stuff too. But they're like, are they like are those are those three going right. to start telling jokes? I, I, I can go. I did write down LMAO several times on my notes. So. <laughs> after um, after the. After they land with their parachutes, yes. and they, where I'm just backtracking where we were in the plot, they set up camp. They interact with the ghost tribe. They find that one guy that was mm-hmm. on the first mission that wasn't actually dead yet. But then he sees Amy, and he has some kind of a seizure, right. panic attack, and he dies. I just I remember that guy from Deadwood. Oh yeah. Um, I can't remember the actor's name or the character's name in it. Um, but this goes back to what you were saying, though, because right after this is where we get our river scene. Mm-hmm. And so, so they, um, what's, what's the song that they sing here? California Dreaming. Right. Um, but so they, they give, they give Amy, uh, another dope banana because they're going to be traveling uh, via river raft. On like whitewater raft style. <laughs> did, did you, with blow up 
yes. graphs <laughs> that they have. They happen to have electronic like pumps for. Right. <laughs> when, when when Amy falls asleep while they're singing here and they pick her up, that is. It, did you guys notice that it like it looks like they're picking up a rock and carrying it? Right, like this is one piece. It's yeah, because it's just like sitting there stiff, and I'm like, you you drug somebody and carry them? Their limbs are flopping all over the place. How would you know, Kevin? <laughs> Very realistic. That's how I got here today. <laughs> um, so this hippo scene, right? This is badass. It is. I I, I wrote hungry, hungry hippos. Um, but great. also bad, but I won't get into that. Go on. <laughs> no, you can say what's bad. Um, there needs to be more moments like this in this mm-hmm. movie. For it Beca- to be like adventure. <laughs> because this is the parts that work. Right. They do. They dive into, you know, some of that political commentary and stuff, and then they just abandon it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what are we getting ourselves into if we're not going to keep going with We that? need to make it look dangerous. We need to have, we need to make it. They got to bring back the tension. They got to bring back the drama. <laughs> so let's bring the trope danger back right. into this where animals are attacking humans. But we talked about this too because yep. what yep. animal in Africa kills more people than any other? Statistically, the hippo. Yep. The hippo is the most dangerous animal in Africa. And after the hippo? Even number two? I don't know that one. I don't know number two. The mosquito. Oh, yeah. I can believe that. <laughs> I can believe that. And then number three, I think, is elephant. Elephant? So it's, you know... So don't worry about lions. They're worry like, about the hippos. They're like fifth or sixth. Right. <laughs> Which, like, for a two-and-a-half-year-old watching this, I'm surprised you took me to this movie. <laughs> I was educating you <laughs> on the, the, the dangers of... Hippopotamuses. Of, yeah. <laughs> yes. You never know when you're going to be alone with a hippo, and this could happen. It's just, it just happens. Anyway. <laughs> that scene, though, I, that I did... I think I wrote, why are they whitewater rafting? <laughs> the, 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 what is it, the quickest distance between two points is a straight line? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, Uncle K, you're still educating me. <laughs> so they... They defeat the hippos. <laughs> yes. They get to shore. Um, one buddy, somebody dies though, right? It, well, he says person. he says like his leg a leg leg is a bit cut, but they'll stitch it up or something like that. Mm. Which th- this scene in the book is like an entire chapter. Mm. That would make sense, seeing as it was like three minutes in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the net like they 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 camp. They get to Mount Makenko. They base camp one more time, and this is where they decide that there's a fork in the road, and they follow the gorilla because the gorilla wants to go left. Because mm-hmm. she knows where she's from. I guess that's the like, like she remembers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what the whole paintings and stuff and foreshadowed. And they find Solomon's lost city, the lost city of Zinj, and. <sighs> Tim? I just hate that name. I don't know why. What is it about that name? I don't know. It just sounds weird. It sounds awful. <laughs> Zinge. But Tim Curry legit looks like he's about to cry when they see this city. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is with this moment of great acting right And did, did the city gates look like it's, a, it's like a, a nation of garden gnomes? Was that? 
<laughs> to me, what it felt like, the, it looked like a garden gnome. Point, 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 pointy hats and golden eyes. Yeah. And then, again, he, Bridget, you brought this up, but why are they taking Amy in here when she's clearly freaking yeah, out about she has, like, PTSD. Right. <laughs> she's been having nightmares, is, like, basically doing art therapy about it. <laughs> so they went, let's throw her in there. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <sighs> Amy's had enough of Vietnam. Let's uh, airdrop her back into Vietnam. Right. Also, we can get into this later, too, but how did Dr. Elliot get Amy in the first place? Right. I don't get it. We never got that backstory. He just, he found her. (laughs) On the dark web? Oh, wait, and that's 96. Never mind. eBay. I don't know. eBay. (laughs) Craigslist. <laughs> so yeah, they. So Amy leads them back to the. They're on the fringe of Zinge at this point. Baby gorilla for sale. Minor PTSD. Also, at yep. some point before Zinge is when you have the first interaction between Amy and like the good gorillas, right? And they're kind of like skeptical of each other, but that scene made me they're laugh being out loud too. At that point, right? oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you a gorilla in yeah. another yeah. life? Yeah. You know, they're <laughs> being gorillas. They're doing gorilla stuff. They're not Which, like the gray gorillas are clearly not doing gorilla stuff. They're yeah. doing this extra demented stuff. gorilla right. stuff. And 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 these guys are doing very gorilla-like activities. Mm-hmm. They're just hanging out doing. Hey, Omaha has one of the best zoos in the world. We we see we know. gorillas. Well. <laughs> Um, Even though a gorilla tried to break out of the gorilla exhibit a few years ago, <laughs> and, and in the and in the seventies there was one that kept a lockpick in his lip. Oh my gosh! So there's a story written on the wall of the zoo. Anyway, though, that is the first time where you see Dr. Elliot sort of have this like pretty visceral reaction because Amy's still wearing the um, just like the hand and whatnot that's translating her motions into words, right? And she does that with the gorilla she encounters. And then he's like, wow, she doesn't belong anywhere. Or who says that she doesn't belong anywhere? Uh, uh, Karen Ross actually mm-hmm. says she doesn't really belong anywhere, where does she? And he goes, no, he, she belongs here. And then he takes off the machine or whatever from yeah. her. I, I do like, though, when she, it, you feel so sorry for her because she tries signing. Mm-hmm. She's like, hello, I'm Amy. Good, good, good. Gorilla. (laughs) And they just like stare for a second and they all turn around at the same time and walk away. I know, it's it's sad. I know. Uncle K Seb and I watched this movie with him when I was about three years old that I just kept being like, where's Amy? (laughs) And that was the only thing keeping my attention in the movie. And I was like, really, it wasn't that different Well, no, it was more so than A lot of it, too, was that you were just freaking out (laughs) at the movie. And so you were just, the only thing to keep you calm was to promise that Amy was coming. (laughs) I'm just saying I kind of like the Amy, like, plot line. Yeah. And this moment, that was her first moment meeting the gorillas. And it was sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Asian-African gorillas. Mm -hmm. The Asian-African gorillas. And, and, you know, but it also kind of gives a little bit of... um, the characterization of Amy. She's starting to become more independently Amy. Rather, before I always see her in a chair or hugging somebody or being tossed out of a, you know, parachute, parachuting down. But now she's like, kind of like, attempting to do something on her own. Mm-hmm. 
to, uh, to, to help the party, to help her, her tribe at that point. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I do. Another lady taking the lead. Yeah, exactly. I will know. That happens a lot with mm-hmm. the two, the, those two, just those two. <laughs> well, and that, with that too. It's not the first that, time Amy, or the last time Amy does this either. So. I, I really appreciate the fact that the, the plot of this never touches on like it's so hard to let you go or anything like that. They stick with it. Like Amy sticks with like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to do. This time I'm going to mm-hmm. reach that goal. And Peter's like, yeah, you know, actually, yes, this is what you should be doing. I'm, I'm glad there wasn't like that whole element of it of like one or the other is like, I can't do this. I can't leave you. <laughs> right. But also, like, let's talk about the, like, reality of uh, how a domesticated animal goes back into the wild so successfully. That that gorilla is going to be dead in a couple days. (laughs) Especially because a volcano is erupting actively. (laughs) That that, that tends to hurt the situation uh, a lot. So we've arrived in Zinj, and... uh, Everybody decides to go inside and go exploring, but uh, Richard stays behind because they found they found Charlie's Hershey bar wrapper, and that's what sends him inside of this. Which temple. is funny because it's an empty Hershey bar wrapper, but he only ate part of it. So the gorillas must have had had to eat some. <laughs> I don't know why. Why does that? Why does that stick out in the movie? And uh, you know, I don't. I don't know. It's the, the, clearly it's hugest flaw. It is the biggest <laughs> flaw in the movie. Um. So this is the first time we get our like real peek at our our gray gorillas here, yeah. and they attack Richard. And when everybody else is still in the temple, Richard comes running and screaming, and like his head is kind of half smashed. <laughs> Which it's kind of cool effects and right. kind of cool death, and I think Grant Haslov is a decent actor, so he kind of sells it. Mm-hmm. But then we get into this like weird slow motion. Stuff where the gray gorilla's running in and, like, chucks Claude's head at him and, like, they start shooting. And it's just, like, this, like, every fifth frame sort of slow-mo. I, qu- I wonder if there and it's was the something only more to that. time used in the movie. I wonder if there was some sort of loss or something that was supposed to be there. I don't know. It just doesn't, it wasn't, it, it didn't feel like part of the movie at all. It was completely outside itself. It took, it took you out of it. It, it it absolutely did. Yeah. Um, but immediately after this, we go set up camp outside and it's night. Mm-hmm. And this is another moment where I'm like, why isn't there more of this with our, you know, James Cameron's aliens tripod machine guns like set up in the laser fence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, these, so futuristic. So these, these movies, cool scenes are so few and wasted between and short. I'm also pretty sure in the middle of this scene, you have that conversation between Richard and the other guy on the expedition. And he's like, so where are you from? What's your name? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's from, I'm from Mombasa. His and he's name's like, Claude. Oh, interesting name for being from <laughs> Mombasa. But that's like another one of those kind of tiny, like social political <laughs> yeah, commentaries. Like, he's like, I want to go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been to Mombasa? Then what do you know about it? Yeah. But then... They're at camp, and the laser beams are going off, and then the gray gorillas come back for, like, a second kind of encounter scene, Mm -hmm. correct? And then you have this kind of big, like, war zone fight scene. Right. And uh, they're like, 
Gorillas are very smart, but they're not aggressive. These things are very aggressive. That line is, yeah. That's an interesting line. Because, you know. Also, with that one, like, it was just hysterical again where you have Tim Curry's character just, like, hiding in his tent. Yeah. Along with along with Amy and Dr. Elliot, I would right. add. Like, they're, like, not doing shit. Meanwhile, <laughs> again, Dr. Ross is, like, controlling her whole little, like, She's out there with system. a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Ross had not been in this part, in this party with them. They're all dead. They would have been gone yep. so much, more than once before. Uh and then some who says something too like there's like a very clear line that's like the myth of the killer ape is true. That I think <laughs> that that had to have been Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> um, which that kind of touches on one of the things that this movie completely misses, which the backstory to these these gray gorillas mm-hmm. is actually kind of more of a fascinating story than the plot of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's like, that could have been a better movie, you know, seeing like that. King Solomon's men like trying to, you know, domesticate and, you know, turn uh, mate with. <laughs> yeah. Again, not touched on. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, let's just jump ahead here. When we finally see these gray gorillas and, you know, the, the, the diamond cavern or whatever, they look like hairy, gross old men and not really like gorillas. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it takes you out of it a little bit. It maybe, it was the, maybe it was the retirement really bad teeth. Well, the, the yeah. book, like, dives into that and how, you know, over centuries here, they, you know, as they were trying to train these gorillas to... Uh, be the guards for this diamond mine. They were also breeding, like crossbreeding them with champion, chimpanzees, and then eventually humans were mating with them too, which is why they look mutated and gross and the way they look in this. Hmm. But it doesn't really work because we don't get that explanation, which is why I say they just look like gross, hairy old men. Um, had they looked like bigger and more aggressive like that silverback that you see in the movie I think they would have been scarier but at this point in the movie they it almost looked kind of funny right <laughs> they yeah. do they do look odd they have a schlock value <laughs> they do yeah, yeah, they, they do yeah. But also, like, I I feel like there could have been more to kind of explore the symbolism of this, like, domestication of gorillas with what Dr. Elliot's doing with Amy. And there's no, like, uh, like, you'd never have, like, a soliloquy moment where Dr. Elliot's, like, weighing, like, the consequences of him domesticating Oh, he clearly doesn't even have Amy. any moral question about what he's doing. I don't really... I I really he, no, I think he does, or he wouldn't be bringing her back, He right? just doesn't but you see don't the correlation have, no. between... And, like, to there. me, as, like, a viewer of the movie, I'm like, well, damn. Yeah. Like... <laughs> what are you saying? This movie touches on yeah. an idea and then just abandons it without going anywhere? <laughs> Wild. <laughs> How many times does that happen? <laughs> Um, so they finally find Charlie and surprise, he's dead. And again, surprise, one second worth of Laura Linney looking at him being sad and then grabbing the laser gun. (laughs) Yeah, I I want your laser gun and your diamond that he's conveniently holding in his hand. Right. Um, but you know what? You want to kill gray gorillas? You use a laser. That's the best way. Mm -hmm. It's the only way. Because they're running out of ammo. Mm -hmm. Um, but who comes to the rescue? 
Amy, the gorilla. Because <laughs> <laughs> what we didn't touch on, but while they're in the diamond mine, an earthquake starts because right. the volcano is about to erupt. So they get locked. They get caved in there, basically. Right. And of course, I'm like talking to Uncle K, like, is Amy going to come <laughs> save them? Is she coming back? <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> But she does. Yeah, that would really suck if they had to sacrifice the Amy character in this movie. No, no they could not do that. It would have got, got a lot worse than it. <laughs> it, it Amy it is like the only thing keeping this thing right. going. Right. This, right. Especially at this point. <laughs> at this point, she's a key component to the whole thing. <laughs> you had a plot line in a movie a bunch of times, and then you started a new plot line. And so uh, I'm just going to care about Amy from this point because right. it's the only thing I like. Yeah. I, I felt that, the, that from this point on, it sort of felt rushed, like abrupt. Like, it did. Yeah. And they were just like trying to f- close the loops and finish it <laughs> off. Right, right. So, fun fact, they, all the all the gray gorillas or demented old men <laughs> jump into the lava, which there's some definite things we could talk about there. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? If, you, if your lasers aren't good enough to kill gray gorillas, you know what you kill gray gorillas with? A volcano. Got to keep one in your pocket at all times. <laughs> By suicide, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> also, they, uh, but something symbolic there about... Uh, King Solomon didn't have therapists on hand for his mutated weird. inbred. I guess that. No, I was just going to say like the like self-destruction of inherent evil, which is what happens with them, right? Like there's no other way for them to live. And so they say, okay, like... We're dying. Let's just go. Right. I guess. <laughs> nice. I like it. Um, but of I course, wish that was more clear. Of course. In the movie, <laughs> the Doctor Ross, Doctor Elliot, Amy, and Captain Monroe get out. Yeah, I can't believe how much depth is being put into this movie <laughs> that clearly didn't have the thoughts that we're having right now. See, I really could have been an English major. <laughs> you could have made this movie really good, too. <laughs> Not that we're necessarily saying it's bad. No, no. Honestly, it just would have been better if it didn't have all the serious elements. <laughs> just stick with the Amy plot line. Right. I think that's what we've got. Making it an So my two-and-a-half-year-old self really knew what was up. <laughs> you just really attached onto that, you know, political conflict in Zaire at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so this earthquake is kind of cool, and I like how the ground is, like, moving, like, waves, which is, like, what a lot of people say it, like, looks and feels like in an earthquake. Mm-hmm. But it's still just, unfortunately, all looks like soundstage sets moving around. Also, to go back to something else that's more, like, cinematography-related, the first, like fight they get into with the gray gorillas that's just all blurry yeah, that and blurry, looks like, like a computer screen. I'm yeah. like, can this stop, please? Yeah. It's stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, it's the only time that's used in the movie mm-hmm. and for no reason. Mm-mm. Like, why? Because you just couldn't make the gray gorillas look I, good I, enough? <laughs> it has to be something like that. that. That, and I think, again, it goes back to, they're try- I think they're trying to build tension and then they're failing all the time. When they try to build this tension, it just falls down. doesn't work. Either, either if it's visually or, or whatever, it just doesn't, doesn't work. So, so then they, our four main characters get out. Right. And you kind of have this, like, nice little couple minutes with Dr. Elliot and Amy. Mm-hmm. Where you know Amy's going to mm-hmm. go off with her new grayback family. Right. right? The realization um, moment that 
kind of moment where he really, yeah, when he f- I just guess, yeah. figures it out that. I don't because like I he, think he already has it figured out. Well, it's just kind of like he, a matter of time. Right. That, well, I think he knew it, but I think at this point he just starts to believe now mm-hmm. that it's happening because of that. He's like, oh, oh, because just to me it just seemed like he. Well, why is she coming back? And I love what they've been traveling. What? Yeah, who know, what is the duration all, of this all, like all around voyage. this jungle and this mountain? But these same three gorillas have been hanging out with them the whole time, just kind of like they're in like a five mile like right space. <laughs> We're always going to be close to that. That's what the fucking hieroglyphics are about. That we are watching you. It's these goddamn creeper gorillas. Yeah, that are <laughs> it's the actual them. African gorillas. I do want to say. All right, one. Okay, so the. One thing I didn't like about this reunion scene, again, surprise, it's some feminist critique, but you have... It's a fella. Yes, it's a fella. <laughs> Why does it have to be that? Also, he looks old as fuck, and Amy's, like, depicted as this, like, 12-year-old, like, coming in, coming of age gorilla. She's a tween. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you have this old dude gorilla, like, accepting her in his home, and I just, I don't know. Well, they get, I liked, if, in my own heart, <laughs> I was thinking about it. It's like she's reuniting with her family, but then that comment about it's a fella made me feel like, oh, so now she's in love with this old dude? Right. That's, and I felt that, I felt that, that I, too. I, I was like, this isn't, like... This shouldn't be like a like a romantic relationship between Amy and the the gorilla. It's like the gorilla. Is, to me, I thought I felt it should have been he's inviting her into their family mm-hmm. unit, but they made it do. They didn't. Yeah, make they it made sound, it like romantic. Sexual he's just like handsome fella. Surprise. I was like, why? I would like to think that's less of the filmmakers and more just Peter Elliott's character. <laughs> Peter Elliott's character. Because he was he was kind of the He's the, just a weirdo. He's like borderline well, he was, like Lars and the real girl. And <laughs> 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 thank you for tuning into this Lock Bill Award. He's borderline Lars and the Real Girl. <laughs> that was, did you write that one down? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh they showed you Scarlett Johansson's voice for the <laughs> Amy. <laughs> In the remake. <laughs> Congo 2. No, but the reunion scene, problematic. <laughs> Not actually appropriate for two and a half year old girls. I don't know. I don't know. You were learning about gorillas. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then uh, Monroe Kelly, Peter Elliott, and Karen Ross, they escape. In the the hot air balloon that they found on the uh, but not before the hot air balloon, <laughs> yeah. But not before uh, Karen Ross does another badass oh, thing. Oh yeah, she mm-hmm. shoots down the yep. fucking satellite from yep. a device that clearly, in true real life, would never be able to reach the satellite. But still, it's Michael Crichton. Of course, the technology is way better and blows it up with great drama, pomp, and circumstance. Check out the fucking diamond expert over but, here. But the, but because he was... Right. Like he said diamonds are a girl's best friend. All because... All because... I said laser. It was about her... It was about her... Uh, um, what was it? Her romantic interest. Because the, the, the father was not interested. She realizes at this point she's not... Um, that wasn't really like a romantic interest as so no, much as like he, a human no. interest. Because she's like, if you're if you're telling me that you're sending me here not to see if your son is alive and just sending me here for a diamond, I'm gonna make you well, sorry. Right, but there's 
Yeah, well, that, at that point, maybe. But the... well, I think it's both because one, yeah. you have at the at the very beginning of this movie when she's talking to Charles's dad, she asks him, "Are you human?" And he says, "I'll be human later." Oh yeah. Right. So he's clearly not. But then I would agree with you too that like there's that romantic element of it that's kind of unnecessary. That's mm-hmm. like. She's righteous in her decision because she loved this dude. Right, not because she not has because morals. Not because she's just a fucking or, badass lady or, with or morals. integrity. You right. know, hey, hey, I don't like this whole, you know, just coming here for money and diamonds and killing all these people and taking over this country. And, and I like, has to be a boy. <laughs> and like it's at least saying, confusing, right? right because right, exactly. there is that romantic element. Right, and like yeah. you were saying though, that plays no part in the story. Right, though. No. So what is it? It could have been for? completely right. edited out, and the movie would have probably. It would it would have it would not have changed it wouldn't have made it worse. Let's just say that. It wouldn't have made it worse. No, and it, it honestly just would have I, I feel like carried forward like the idea that women can be important characters without having a romantic interest with someone else in the story. Right. Right? Yeah, because I mean, clear, clearly Ernie and uh, 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 Captain Monroe and Peter Elliot weren't having a thing. Nope. So, and they were p- both in this, at the end too. You that's, know, that's kind of funny though. <laughs> we're bringing this up now though, because in the very last scene of both of these people, both female characters, one being an, a gorilla, but Amy <laughs> and Karen, uh, Karen, it, it comes up. It's like, oh, a boy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though, again, you both have, like, led this entire mission. <laughs> right. They've both saved people, yeah. the, the group, at different points. And, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it's almost it's in, conflict, in confliction with itself. <laughs> if only this movie thought as hard as we did. No, but now, now I'm like, dang, like, you made a good choice in, like, the kind of movie, the kind of adventure movie you brought me to, where right. there's, like, such strong female characters. <laughs> and we're just realizing this as we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Subconsciously, I knew. I would also add, I thought that the, um, the like, fashion choices, especially for Dr. Ross's character, were pretty great throughout. You liked that jacket. <laughs> I did like that jacket. Yep. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the Zaire Border Patrol doesn't shoot down this balloon, but we never know. Yeah. Um, and it ends very Lion King-esque, too, like <laughs> yes. with a nice sunset and some nice music. Mm-hmm. Likely problematic. A Disney music. beginning and a Disney <laughs> end, but a, a completely mash up in the middle. They they in are. Between. I think the lyrics are like something singing about Mother Africa right, or right. something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way we like to rate movies on the Schlockville Horror is we think about like, okay, I'm sitting down watching this movie by myself. Do I enjoy it? Do I not enjoy it? Where do I rank it on a scale of zero to 10? If I sat down with a group of my friends to enjoy laughing at this or making fun of it or loving horror or whatever, how would I rate it? And kind of combining all of that together. And coming up with the rating, Bridget, as our guest. I have to go first? You have to go first. Okay. Hmm. I think if I just was watching this movie, again, not for the purpose of this podcast or for the purpose of thinking critically about it, I don't know. I think I might give it a six. Like, I liked it more than I didn't like it, mainly because... I like animals until I like the character of Amy. 
Um, and two, I think in general, like I like any movie that has a very strong female lead and whether or not I would have been as conscious of my like thoughts and feelings about that and watching it without the purpose of knowing I was going to have to talk about it. <laughs> I think I probably would have liked it for that reason. Um, but there's obviously a lot of things wrong with this movie. Uh, but I do think if you watch it with like a schlock lens of like, I'm just going to sit back and appreciate this for that those aspects of the movie like just the sheer entertainment value schlock lens you just coined a term on this show (laughs) it will be used from here forth trademark (laughs) especially since uh, at least from the pre-conversations we've had it's not like a stereotypical schlock movie but i think if you watch it from that lens of just like adventure like kind of dumb in a lot of ways right. sort of like the it's, perspective of you don't want to take it serious yeah like it's it okay it's 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 okay mm-hmm. i think if you watch it with a critical lens which is i guess how i approach most things in life period <laughs> then it's not so much a six <laughs> it does not definitely get a lot of high marks and how it handles uh race gender or anything else really um, but yeah, I give it. I'd say I give it a six for just watching it out of the blue. So overall, you're gonna overall give it a six? I, between five and six, I guess. Okay. And that, I mean, that just stems too from that's just my baseline. Like I haven't had to rate any other movies you guys have talked <laughs> sure. about. So if you have me back, maybe I'll be a little harsher. But I doubt it. If you've seen some of the movies we've seen, it's probably you'll probably yeah, increase I'd give the it, number. I give bit. it like a five or six for just like how much I enjoyed the movie. And I think, I do think a lot of that, as dumb as it sounds, has to do with the fact that I like Amy's character. Um, and I like Dr. Ross's character. So, that's, yeah, I give it a five or six. It is nice to know, too, that the person inside the Amy costume is actually a female, mm-hmm. too. Yep. And not that a man has to portray that character. Right. <laughs> I like monster movies. You do? <laughs> so you do I, I, I like this movie for that fact. Uh, I, I said this earlier that I love the secondary characters in this movie. Um, I think uh, Ernie Hudson's fantastic. I think Tim Curry's fantastic. Um, Joey Pants is great. I think there should have been more of these smaller characters in this movie. And I think they threw away some fantastic actors in smaller roles. Right. Um, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. With the, every movie needs more Jimmy Buffett. I think so. Um, I like the backstory of these gray gorillas and this idea. And it kind of jades my opinion of this movie because it's like I kind of like it more knowing that stuff. But I still think that's the better movie, which I, I touched on earlier is I would rather have seen this as, you know, a 2,000-year-old movie where (laughs) King Solomon's army is, you know, training these gorillas and developing all that would be a good start to the film instead of the instead of the 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 beautiful i mean they could put that in there too but but have like this like prequel scene Scene. where it's just like this little story hey real quick before the movie starts here's how the crazy old men live in the cave Mm -hmm. see if i was going to remake this movie i would go with the Again, the juxtaposition of Dr. Elliot domesticizing Amy mm-hmm. combined with the domesticization of these violent beasts, which, like, why it, that to me is, like, 
if you're just logically looking at the plot, <laughs> what probably should be like the central theme of the movie. Right. But instead, it's it's not. <laughs> and I'm kind of confused still about what the theme really is. Right. No, I agree. But... <laughs> uh, Amy, want green drop drink? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the execution is what's lacking in this movie. It uh, tries to dive into too much that it really doesn't know what it's talking about with. And uh, that's where it... But it does it with such, like, assertiveness, too, though. Like, like uh, almost a confidence about their wrongness. Yeah, like a very... Like, they are very... They have a brazenness about the way they're, like, approaching things they probably shouldn't even be approaching. It's just like they assume it's good. Let's do it. (laughs) Six out of ten. I give it a six. All right. Cheers. (laughs) Uh, for me, I thought the movie was, if I look, if, again, for, if I look through it through the, the schlock lens, as you mm-hmm. put it. Schlock um, lens. Uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a, I liked the, the idea of the movie more than I think I liked the movie. Um, I liked the fact that it had all the elements that I would think would be a fantastic movie. Uh, if you read the summary. Well, not the one sentence summary on IMDb. It doesn't do it half justice. But I do, I do see... Uh, it being a 1995 movie that it fell into the complete cycle of all movies from the 90s being some of the some of the dynamics in them are kind of weak when it comes to especially everything seems to be we have to have to be real, based around relationships for some reason uh, not not interpersonal but like romantic and and uh but the biggest thing for me that got me was the domestication thing with Amy. Um, my ba- my background is behavioral psychology, and I've we've studied a lot of bonobos and things like that. And I just know that primates do have a hierarchy. They do have their own political kind of scale, like their own thing, their own society, their own society, yeah. and try to create and try to like basically create a a puppet from mm-hmm. them try to try to tr- create them and it's it's not something you want to do to a normal animal. They literally did create gorilla puppets for this movie. Th- true, they <laughs> did. Probably better than the actual reality of people who do this. <laughs> because at least you know the person can get out of it and become a person again um and not be confused. But the uh the 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 end did I thought the end I felt it wanted to be heartwarming in a way and touching or something. But with the reunion, yeah, yeah, I didn't think it happened. Um, I don't think it really did. Yeah, uh, I, I, there's technology in it that I felt was very over the top. But okay, I'm gonna with schlock. You have to suspend your disbelief a lot in a lot of things because it doesn't make sense if you try, uh, <laughs> especially with like technology and, 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 and the mystic, mystical or supernatural stuff. But um, with uh, Congo, it, it, there was no supernatural. Uh, it was supposed to be a biological film. The, the, the apes, the, the bad mm-hmm. apes are biological apes. They're not demon-possessed. They're not ghosts. They're not mm-hmm. anything that's cybernetic. They're just, you know, trained mutant <laughs> I guess that would be the only and, and that but that'd be biological so I don't know I, I give it a and and I'm gonna I'm gonna rate it a seven and I'm gonna tell you why only because I've rated these other movies so far <laughs> through a schlock lens mm-hmm. um 
if I was if I wanted to look at it uh, like I because this is I I personally don't think Congo is a schlock movie. I think there's a lot of schlock elements. I think there's some flaws in just this typical writing and maybe some of the special effects or how the, the especially the scene with the slow motion. I think that. I would rate it lower in that aspect. If I was if I was trying to compare this to like Avengers or if I was trying to compare this to like an actual non-schlocky movie, it would rate a lot lower. But due to the fact that I have seen, I think, some of the worst movies I've ever seen uh, <laughs> that have ever been there made. There will be more. Um, uh, I have to rate this a seven. Um, and again, um, only because I feel that I, the idea weighs Laura more Linney, with me. Laura Linney, Ernie Hudson, and Tim Curry. I think Laura Linney actually did a really, really good job. Um, I think that character made this movie. If that character wasn't, even though there's a lot of issues with all of them, her character, I like Tim Curry's character because of just the schlocky. He's kind of, would you consider him comedy relief? I think is it's 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 he was just supposed to. He was be. like yeah, I, I think his so, yeah. yeah his his he breaks up some of that monotony that could could have formed. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought the the cast did as well as they could under the circumstances. Maybe uh, I think the writing could have been a lot better. I give a seven. So what? What genre is this supposed to be? Like so this is actually science fiction. Well. T- 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 Typically, it's considered science fiction because it's Michael Crichton's book is considered science fiction. Like so, like in like a blockbuster video, it's going to be in sci-fi. Um, Half the audience it, is like, "What the well, fuck's the movie?" Video? The movie. It's this. It, that's, this is where you start to to get into semantics because you're gonna you're gonna say the the movie's adventure totally, but the the story itself is a science fiction story. If, if you read the book, from what I've read in the summaries, yeah. Um, but if you look at the summaries of the book, it's going to be. Science fiction because he uses more technology. Right. Because Jurassic Park is considered science fiction, even though it's the it's an action film. There's action in science fiction. So. So we're staring at a computer screen in front of us too that also has an image from Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> <laughs> that I just pointed out to my niece here. So monkey around. Not not only not only did uh I take you to see Congo when you were two and a half, but do you remember a game that we used to play? Sure do. Yep. <laughs> I am sensing a theme of gorillas <laughs> and beautiful women. <laughs> Lots of foreshadowing. <laughs> what? Uh, That's, yeah. So so it, in Mighty Joe Young there's like the the handlers for the gorilla would like shake their keys or whatever and that's what would trigger him so he used <laughs> to play this game where Bridget would like shake the keys and I would pretend to be a gorilla and I would pick her up and throw her onto the couch awesome. and she would laugh hysterically <laughs> Gorillas were a big part of your life. They kind. sure were, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to come back around to them. Right. <laughs> Everything's come full circle yep. in my life. <laughs> uh, so whenever we have guests on the show, uh, we like to give them the opportunity to like pitch and talk about things that they're involved in or things that are important to them or dear to their heart. And uh, we would like to give you that opportunity. Wow, thank you. (laughs) Well, I don't have a whole lot in my life that's super tied to movies other than my Uncle K, which I always appreciate. 
Uh, if you couldn't tell by the comments I was making, I'm pretty interested in social and political issues and organizations. I work for a nonprofit called Civic Nebraska, and we do a variety of civic education and voting rights stuff across the state of Nebraska. And then I've also always been a member of the League of Women Voters. We actually have a documentary series. Um, nice. That would be my that would be my tie to movies, <laughs> not necessarily schlock at all. I don't know. I guess I could start viewing those political documentaries from a schlock lens. <laughs> Some of them um, you can, especially the old ones. I'm sure. Yeah. But in general, I mean, I, I guess I think there's always value in looking at art and culture with a political and social lens. It's uh, we're, we're creating and producing art in a social and political context, no matter what time or space or place we're making that in. And in that regard, I hope that this podcast continues to consider those elements. Well, think about what we just did here yeah. today with discussing this movie. I think we... In talking about what could be improved with it, mm -hmm. we created the best version right. of this movie possible <laughs> and just guess, in our discussion. Yeah, and I guess, it, I mean, not that I, I don't know what would come of this, but I, especially in my job, because I'm constantly curating what would be good educational experiences for young people. I think about movies like this that are entertaining and how can you construct a conversation that gets people critically thinking about how women or, or whoever else um, that's usually oppressed gets depicted in movies and how can we spark a conversation about how to make that better. And I always think movies are such a good way to talk about those things. And so I definitely, when I came over to your house to watch this movie for the second time in my life <laughs> when I wasn't two and a half years old, um, I didn't expect to, to go there with it. Um, I think obviously because of my work and my interests, I naturally do in general, but it's really easy to see how you can uh, make an opportunity to have those conversations even out of schlock film. I'm so. sure there's a lot of conversations out of a lot of schlock films. There's so many of them that are oh, just worse than this. <laughs> I'm sure too. I don't even know. <laughs> but but I will say too, even for people in my field that like might feel like something like a movie podcast like Back. this and think, well, I wouldn't be interested in this or that's probably not going to have anything to do with something I would care about. But I think it's just a good reminder that we all have things that uh, we can relate to each other with mm -hmm. and there are important things about our world that we can talk about with almost everything. Um, so... I don't know. I'm a, I am grateful for the opportunity to have been on the podcast. I hope you guys invite me back when oh, you yeah. want a feminist lens. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I would honestly recommend Congo as a conversation <laughs> starter for whoever's interested in talking about women in film and even race and some of the civil wars that happened in Africa in the mid-90s. I think that's also something that the three of us could go learn more about and have a better podcast what? the next time. Again, yeah. I mean, we, we, we dove into that a little bit. We're like, hey, this is interesting. And the movie's just like, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, the movie's scratching We're the We're going to just uh, go past this now. Yeah, because right. how, how many people are going to watch this movie and not even realize that there was real stuff going on in 1996? Right. Right. In Africa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, who knows? I mean, like, you people maybe not even know when you realize it. So. so even what I said earlier, like, this movie would be better if you watch it fully from the schlock lens. <laughs> like, I guess my rating would be better, but my point in terms of what I'm involved in and what I hope people, what I hope movie watchers take away is, like, 
always think about things in terms of the world we live in and how to improve it because no matter what like the fact that dr ross like was such a big character in that movie like who knows that probably did have something to do with how i identified as a woman growing up so thank you for taking me to that movie (laughs) so 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 you're saying not only is this an entertaining film but it's a good kickstarter for being like a talking piece to uh Mm -hmm. get things going so why didn't you just give this a 10 then I would never give it a ten. <laughs> it would have to improve in a lot of ways, especially that blurry scene. <laughs> that blurry scene kicks it down three um, points automatically. No, it definitely loses some feminist points with the oh a fella comment. <laughs> That's at least a point there. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, and um, yeah, definitely we'll have you back for some stuff because I'm if if you want if you'd like to we'll have you back and we'll. We will curate some very interesting schlock movies that may have some things they have to say. Maybe not well, but but I think that'd be a kind of a fun a fun thing we could to explore. Yeah, and say, hey, what do you think of this one? And then maybe we'll hear the the holy heck of what's going on with it because <laughs> <laughs> there's some out there that are pretty pretty crazy. Yes. So, but yeah, I, I definitely it. thank you for having us. We had a really good yeah, time. Yeah, thanks Again, for having me. Again, I'd like to thank our it. guest, Bridget Claiborne, for coming on. And our sponsor for this episode, the Happy Hour Coffee Company.